Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Duck Pod. Ryan Thorburn here, joined by Ken Woody. We're uh, talking about Washington State, Oregon, and then looking ahead to Saturday's game, UCLA against Oregon at Autzen Stadium. Ken, what were your impressions of the Washington State game? Obviously, the Ducks had three first-half turnovers, but were able to overcome those self-inflicted wounds with uh, another nice second half, and, and they end up beating the Cougars 43-29. Joe Moorhead's offense continues to pile up uh, the numbers, and uh, the defense, I guess, held its own against the run-and-shoot. What did you see in that game? Uh, first off, I'd say that I was uh, really impressed with Washington State, given the fact that they've a uh, brand-new coach, didn't have a chance to install his system in spring ball. So uh, I thought Washington State played really good. They've got an outstanding offensive line. That quarterback it makes things happen. They've got a couple of good running backs, which is, you know, Washington State usually has not had that uh, – feature in their offense. So uh, good for the Cougars. I think Oregon, uh, uh, Oregon's defense uh, at times didn't play very well at all. They missed a lot of tackles, couldn't cover passes, got no pass rush. Um, offensively, there were some turnovers, but you know the, the defense uh, did a nice job holding three turnovers, uh, midfield or closer, to only 10 points. So uh, that part is good. Uh, Shuck, once again, got off to a slow start, but then got going. I really like Moorhead's play calling. I think it reflects they were two for two on fourth down, I think seven of 11 on third down. That's the, you know, that's the mark of a good offense. You keep those kinds of statistics going, and you're going to have a good chance of being successful. Now, the one thing I've noticed, and I guess I think the tackling of Oregon might uh, – uh, this might apply to the, the tackling issues – I saw California play against UCLA last week. And Cal, the first game, they had a lot of restrictions on how they could practice and so on. And they looked like a team that was in their second day of spring football. And I'm seeing this around the country. There's some sloppy play. There's missed tackling. And, you know, we all have to realize that, you know, tackling, for instance, is something that a good program establishes in the spring in the spring where you're able to hit a little bit more. And so now we're in the, the COVID times and uh, practices are, are different. The mindset is different because you got this big black ball hanging above your head all the time. And so I think that some of the sloppiness uh, of tackling uh, might be attributed to that. But uh, Mario got them all uh, organized. Coach Avalos talked about tackling and they spent a lot of time on Wednesday working on it, and I'd say that's a good sign. Yeah, I mean, Oregon had the four spring practices and then their abbreviated fall camp. They're still a young defense, uh, and obviously they had some really established players opt out on defense. Uh, Brady Breeze was a pretty good tackler. 
uh, Javon Holland, spectacular tackler. So it's still a work in progress on that side of the ball. But based on what we saw from Andy Avalos last year, I would think, uh, you know, that's something that'll get shored up. And Washington State's a hard team to tackle because the players are out in space. The ball is released quickly and and they have it all spread out. So uh, overall, you know, not, not a great effort on defense, but good enough game two to get a win when you consider what's going on on offense. You mentioned the third down conversions, Oregon, small sample size, but they're number one in the nation in converting third downs right now. They're number one in second half rushing yards. Uh, I, I write about that in the Register Guard in, in Friday's edition. You know, C.J. Verdell is this tough, proven veteran runner, and then in the second half you come out uh, with Travis Dye. He only has 13 touches this year, but he has three touchdowns, which leads the team, and he's averaging about 17 yards every time he, he touches it, a couple touchdown <laughs> catches. Really, that's a nice one-two punch Oregon has, and they've been dominating the second halves of these games, outscoring the opponents 50-17. to 17. Well, you know, one of the things that Moorhead says that uh, is behind his offensive strategy, well, the three things he says is it's numbers, angles, and space. And that is what Washington State was doing to Oregon in the first half of that game. Uh, they had a situation. They were running right at uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, had him rushing to the outside uh, on a pass rush while they caved everything down, pulled a couple linemen, and, and – there was huge holes, and basically it was four uh, blockers on three defenders. And, and there was a perfect example of angles and numbers, and that's the kind of thing that Moorhead looks for when he's designing what they're going to do. So uh, I thought that was really interesting, and I'm going to start looking for that a little more closely uh, with Oregon's offense. But it was really apparent uh, with what the Cougars were doing. What do you think about Tyler Shuck? I mean, obviously he had a great debut. Uh, he has a couple picks this year, but I just like the way he runs the RPO game. It seems like he's a really good fit for Moorhead's offense with how quickly he makes decisions. Uh, I love how he, he throws that bomb to, to red right before the half. I think that really flipped the momentum. I mean, they had the three turnovers. They were, you know, trending towards another disappointing performance in Pullman. And then with that, only down, what was it, nineteen fourteen at the half, despite the three turnovers? I mean, at that point, I felt like they were going to cruise in the second half. Well, that was big. And, and Washington kind of got – Washington State got worn down there towards the end. Uh, the thing about Shuck, he reminds me of the uh, basketball guard who just re, uh, uh, graduated from Oregon, Pritchard. He yeah, reminds me of the same kind of player that uh, – you know, Pritchard could could go out there and get off to a cold start, and then all of a sudden he's he's the difference. And uh, Shuck right now is a difference maker. And you, as you mentioned, they got the running backs. I think the receivers, uh, there are a couple great catches on balls that uh, might have been thrown a little better. But, I mean, that's what a quarterback needs. Uh, he needs guys that are going to bail him out and make the tough catches. And, you know, sometimes the defense is so tight that you have to make a great catch or it's going to be knocked down or intercepted. So uh, I thought the, the second half really went well, and that, that last touchdown 
uh, right before halftime, took the wind out of Washington's, Washington State's stales. And it's really kind of an interesting play because uh, Verdell got the, the ball and they had a, a running play kind of in the off tackle area. And here comes Johnny Johnson in motion and he's expected to kick out the edge defender who weighs 234 pounds. Well, John, Johnson kind of bounced him a little bit, but there was a hole inside, but uh, Verdell kind of went outside and, and was engaged then with tacklers. And it was only because of his amazing leg strength and drive that he got it into the end zone. It was really, it was kind of a, a weird play for that, you know, that kind of important run, but it worked. So good for them. Shuck said that uh, they have not really unveiled a lot of what Moorhead has in the playbook. I imagine some of that has to do with being down to one tight end who's a converted defensive end. Uh, when they get some of these tight ends back and they have a lot of talent in that room, when they get a Micah Pittman back, that won't be this week. But what kinds of things are you looking for them to expand on, on with the offense? Well, the one thing, and it's just like the play I just described, that's a perfect play for a tight end to be in motion and coming across and making that block. Um, if you look at what other teams have done with their tight ends lately, they've been able to put them in uh, three or four receiver formations and have them inside working on a you know, smaller, slower defensive back or a linebacker. Um, you know, there, there are things they can do uh, blocking downfield uh, on screen passes, that sort of thing. So that, yeah, there are a lot of things that uh, uh, the, the Ducks could do with a couple more tight ends in there and probably in short yardage goal line uh, situations. And the fact is you kind of establish those guys as blockers, but they're all good receivers. And that's, that's really where the difference comes is you get somebody uh, – and, and, and Webb was this way last year. Um, that, and uh, uh, even Camp Moyer in the Rose Bowl had a, a really good reception going down in the, towards the end zone in the first half on a tight end delay. So there, and you can keep them in for uh, pass blocking too. A lot of teams do that, and I think that's really smart. So you kind of touched on uh, UCLA Cal. Uh, the Bruins are coming off maybe their most impressive win since Chip Kelly took over. They dismantle Cal. Uh, they hold Cal under 180 yards of total offense. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson looks like, uh, you know, he's emerging. He's always been a talent, but now maybe he's emerging as one of the better Pac-12 players. Should we read into that as pro-UCLA, that result, or – is it hard to read anything into it given that they had 43 hours, Cal, to get to Los Angeles and play a team that wasn't on their schedule until last Thursday? Well, it might be a little of both. I thought Cal looked terrible. They looked like a team in their second day of spring football, as I said. They, a lot of obvious mistakes, and Gerber, the quarterback, who I had picked uh, to be you know, kind of the, the stellar one in the conference based on his – performance in the past um, he was uh, the most successful quarterback in the league going into this and he looked terrible um, he missed reads and that and you just you look at it and go this is a team that's not had a chance to practice you know this the COVID is, is not necessarily being enforced evenly around the country it can depend on the county you're in or even the city Stanford 
early on uh, this fall had to move this fall that shoot this winter had to move some practices into a different county because of restrictions that would have kept them from practicing well the bears had some restrictions put on them by the city of berkeley um you know perhaps they had some they needed the facilities to practice a riot or something like that but um they obviously were not the practice up team and as you mentioned ucla actually they beat sc one year with with kelly that was pretty good but this this ranked in there the thing about kelly that you know he's going to run the ball he's going to try to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball and that game was a pretty good uh display of his offensive philosophy um both running backs uh look great uh and the quarterback you know he reminds me kind of like nitroglycerin that if you handle it the right way uh you're going to be okay but if you mishandle it it's going to blow up and be uh a, a big explosion that you're going to have a hard time dealing with yeah i arrived here in 2013 which was obviously uh chip kelly had bailed to the eagles that uh, was mark helfrich's first year so i wasn't actually covering chip kelly's offense and that explosion of the program nationally you were around how similar is what Chip Kelly is doing on offense to what Joe Moorhead is trying to do with the Ducks. I think the quarterbacks are putting up similar numbers, really impressive numbers, and uh, they're both Northeastern guys from uh, New Hampshire and Fordham. How similar are these two offenses? It's an interesting question because um, Kelly is to the spread like Moorhead is to run pass options. And I think that uh, Moorhead's offense has more of those plays where the quarterback is reading a defender to throw a pass, not necessarily to, to pitch out or hand off to somebody else. Now, or, or, uh, UCLA has a little bit of that, but that's not really their deal. The uh, Ducks do it a lot, and you can tell that Moorhead's a good teacher because uh, you know the Ducks didn't get spring ball really, and they're running that really well. The, when you mentioned tight ends, the tight ends uh, run more seam routes and so on, and they in a run pass option uh, t- uh, play. You got a lot more uh, options with a uh, with a RPO offense than you do with uh, Kelly spread. Um, it's they're both they're both the same. They're looking for mismatches, and the thing about the spread that was really misunderstood when Kelly first terrorized the league with it was everyone look at the the receiver spread out and go this is a passing offense no he said it's it's a run offense and he wants to get in a formation where his linemen can count how many run defenders there are and and his whole thing is ucla oregon when they did it they have to be a good enough passing team that teams will have a hard time covering them one-on-one which means they have to go into zone coverage which means they can't rush as many uh, pass uh, pass rushers. They also, the front, they now have seven, seven guys, six guys against the five or six that the offense has. And so just as uh, Moorhead looks for numbers, advantages, that's, that's the whole idea of the spread is you're, you're looking every play to see, are they worried more about the run or worried about the pass? And, Kelly will run the ball in both situations. He's very stubborn. You know, shoot, he's like Belichick. You can see he's hung around him. 
Um, he's just got a little better sense of humor than Belichick. Um, but they're, they're both the, kind of the same thing. So it'll be interesting. I, I'm anxious to see it. I hope the weather cooperates so it's not an issue. Yeah, Mario Cristobal was saying that, you know, UCLA gets all the attention for the offense and Chip Kelly's offense, and I'm probably guilty of that as much as anyone. But what do you make of their defense under Jerry Azanaro, uh, former Oregon assistant? Um, Colorado really lit them up on opening night. Uh, Sam Neuer has been a, a revelation at quarterback for the Buffs. They put 49 on UCLA. And then last week, they smother Cal. Uh, you mentioned Chase Garbers. He, he's a veteran quarterback who couldn't do anything. Uh, what do you make of this UCLA defense? Because Cristobal, and I don't know if he's just, you know, putting pressure on UCLA, but he says their roster is just as good as anyone's because they're in that hotbed of Los Angeles recruiting uh, where he loves to go in and get players. But what, what do you make of this team? Can they – slow down Moorhead's scheme. Well, you know, the, in the Colorado game, they, they bounced back on the, the back of their offense. Colorado got a little, um, uh, what would I say, uh, careful and entered up 48-49 to 42. Uh, this last week against Cal, uh, they held Cal 4 of 14 on third down. And they, I mean, they had their way. They had tremendous pressure and they were good against the run. You know, I'm sure Cal with good practice and so on, they've got pretty good players, but UCLA always has good athletes. The things that the things that have killed them the last couple of years, and it's with their quarterback also, is you got talented guys that are making mistakes, turning the ball over, and getting lots of penalties. In the Colorado game, it was unbelievable how many penalties they got in the first half. So this last week against uh uh, California, they, they cut their turnovers, they forced turnovers, and uh, they had a very good third down ratio. Their defense held Cal to four of 14 conversions on third down, and that's really good. So, um, I, you know, UCLA will be the best team that the Ducks have faced and may face all year. However, you just want to see which UCLA team is going to show up because if it's the one that makes mistakes and gets penalties, then that you know the, any advantage they have or uh, equalizers that they have will be minimized. Well, the weather didn't look good last week at this time in Pullman, and it cleared out in time. I know it was probably chilly up there, but for uh, things to work out with a, a clean surface, right now my phone for Saturday has a sunshine on it on the weather app. Um, it's hard to predict, but got to love uh, this game was moved from late Friday night to Saturday due to, uh, you know, obviously UCLA had to play on a Sunday last week. Um, Saturday, 12.30 p.m., ESPN2. Uh, the only thing missing is going to be the fans again, but you got to love that kickoff time and, and the potential of a, a dry day. I, well, I do love the kickoff time, and you say it's – 12:30 Saturday. Just just pray that everybody makes their uh, Corona test because uh, as you know, Stanford ran into that coming into the Oregon game, and I mean it could happen to anybody. So that that is really an unknown. That you know, the one thing is, when football season starts, a lot of it's unknown. But as games go on, 
we know more and more and we can adequately, uh, accurately predict what's going to happen or how kids are going to play. But you, you, we don't have the uh, control over that that we used to. And that's, in a way, it's made it more interesting. But I just, I just shudder to think what coaches have to deal with with all the uncertainty. And, of course, that goes all the way down to the players. Well, yeah, I asked Jalen Red about that this week. I mean, Micah Pittman was a late scratch along with Steve Stevens, a, a safety they could have really used at Washington State, and, and Daywood Davis. Now, they didn't say why they were a late scratch, but I think we can all figure it out. Um, and Jalen said, yeah, that last test before game is stressful waiting for those results. He said, to be honest with you, it's stressful because you don't know, even if you do all the right things, what that test is going to say. Uh, you know, as we know, Davis Mills, the starting quarterback of Stanford, missed the opener with a false positive, it turned out. Yeah, that was that was brutal. It, the whole thing reminds me of of uh, collegiate or high school wrestlers having to get weighed, weighed in on the day that they're going to practice. And you've got guys – I remember at, <laughs> watching Oregon wrestlers when they had a wrestling team. There was, a, there was one guy who was spitting. He's trying to get saliva out of his mouth to, to – to lose weight you know I mean he was so close we're talking ounces not pounds and I went this is not this is not good (laughs) so there's been I think five Pac-12 games canceled this year so far uh Mario Cristobal said he used my knocking on wood line that there's been no glitches for Oregon yet or their opponents and that's really the key obviously to the season um, you know, Oregon would have to get fortunate on their end and the other end to get to 7-0 and to have any shot at, at their ultimate goal. Um, what's kind of your prediction, again, knocking on wood, that this thing kicks off for UCLA at Oregon? Well, um, I'm not sure I have prediction. I got a little prayer, but the uh, – <laughs> I mean, has Utah even played a game this year? Utah has not played a game, and there are teams around the country that have played 10 games. Yeah, it's just uh, so random. Here again is where missing spring ball hurts so much because all your red shirts and the freshmen that graduated high school early would at least have gone through the fundamentals, been aware of the system, and so on. I saw a guy uh, on Cal, they were on defense, and he went in at outside linebacker, and you could tell he didn't know what to do. Well, with no fans in there and coaches yelling, you can kind of hear the coaches. He was turning his head to the sideline back and forth, and he was moving as he he did this. Obviously, the guy was telling him where to line up. And you could just tell this guy was a rookie, didn't know what he was doing. Who knows? He might have been a kicker they threw in there. So um, there's a a lot of of stuff like that going on, and I think – um, but, you know, the, the thing about it is if, it, if it's equal for everybody, that's fine. But if, if it isn't, then that's really unfortunate because it's, it takes away from the quality of the game. Well, I know Oregon doesn't want it to come down to a kick, but I think they have enough to win, you know, 37-30, somewhere in there. I really do think Chip Kelly is going to have a game plan and something for them that's going to make this very dangerous, though. I, I think you're right. I, 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 would, I might pick at 37-31 for the okay. Ducks, but uh, uh, I have my fingers crossed. <laughs> All right, Ken. Well, 
we will talk about it next week. It's uh, great to catch up with you and stay safe, my friend. Okay. Hey, be, be careful up in the press box there, okay? I will. Black Remember armband the black armband. Yep. We're in <laughs> unity. <laughs>